now live and we are back for another Wednesday edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I am Rafael Garcia and I'm back with Shawan Humes. How are you doing there, sir? Good, good. Ready to talk MMA as always. Good, good, good. So we um have a lot to talk about this week. You know, we had quite a quite a busy weekend of fights. Let's see, we had, what, three cards going on, two UFC events on the same day, and Bellator 165 later on that night. So we have quite a bit to talk about. I know leading up to the show, we didn't do an in-depth preview of every fight because, honestly, I didn't think every fight deserved that. But there are certainly some points worth talking about um, from last week's action. And we're also going to look at the fight card coming this weekend. So let's go ahead and start there. Um, I want to talk about the biggest fight of the weekend, which was the um, fight between Michael Chandler and Benson Henderson for the Bellator 165, oh, excuse me, 155-pound title, where we saw Michael Chandler um, come out via, what was it, a split decision? I can't remember if it was a split decision. It was, okay. So we saw him um, take the belt, or keep the title, excuse me, and give Benson his second um, Bellator defeat in three attempts. You know, he's lost two two title fights now um, where he was kind of expected to dominate, even dominate maybe two two divisions, but he hasn't been able to do that. So let's go ahead and talk about that fight there, man. Um, you picked Benson to win. I picked Michael Chandler just on a whim. But um, what what were your thoughts after the event was over? Talk to me about that. Well, first off, I, I, find, I find the criticism of Benson Henderson to be a, a bit much. Um, I didn't think he was going to win the welterweight title. The guy who was fighting was a very big welterweight. And uh, when you have that size advantage, you, you get the extra layer of defense as far as defending takedowns. You know, when you're that much bigger than a guy, you can just push him off. Even if he's a, a very good wrestler, a good grappler, if you've been training to defend that, you can just push him off. You can wrench him out of positions and muscle him out of positions that you don't have the actual skill to back up. And then on the feet, when you have that much of a size advantage and you're that much better of a striker, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long, long night for a guy who, like Benson Henderson who, as good a fighter as he is, often depends on his own athleticism and his size and his physical presence to win him fights, to grind guys out. So I didn't think he'd be Korshkov. He beat The other guy got injured when he fought, fought Pitbull, but that fight didn't go long enough to see if Benson would make an adjustment. And so then we come to Michael Chandler. Now, before I talk about the fight, the thing about it is, in his three fights, he fought the number one contender from a weight down, 145. He fought the the former champion, the guy who was current champion at the time at welterweight, and then he fought the current champion at lightweight in Bellator, who was who was like the best or second best champion they've had in Bellator. And the welterweight guy was the only the third championship champion they've had in the history of Bellator. So it's not like he was fighting scrubs. He wasn't losing to just no-name local regional guys or being pushed by lo- no-name local regional guys. He was fa- facing the very best that Bellator had to offer in almost all three of his fights. So I just like to put that out there where people start saying, well, he's totally fallen off. He clearly can't compete because we all know that the top two or three guys in each division in Bellator can compete and win in the UFC. We've known that. That's been clear for the past four or five years, if nothing else, that the top two or three, maybe four guys in each division are capable of competing in the UFC. So essentially he's lose, he's lost to or had whatever against UFC 
level talent. So that those losses don't concern me as much as they concern other people. As to the fight, the fight pretty much went the way I thought it was, except for Benson not not winning. Uh, Chandler wasn't effective when Benson could impose his will and, and kind of chop away with him at leg kicks and body kicks and kind of control him at a distance. When he got inside, he started putting hands on Benson. He started taking Benson down. He started um, using... I think he has a bit, bit more of an explosive speed advantage over Benson Henderson, and that's what he used to win the fight. He was just outworking him and getting into the range where Benson's not good at. Benson is a good counter guy. What he likes to do is he, he moves around, he baits you, and then he walks you into straight rights to the body, body kicks, leg kicks, jabs, you know, short combinations. If you can get in ben, Benson at boxing range, his boxing has never been good. He punches hard. His punching has gotten better. But his actual boxing has never been great. Um, not not offensively. He doesn't put the cleanest combinations together. Um, he faints, and he can put one or two shots together, but he can never really string combinations together. His jab, while improved, still isn't anything to write home about. And his defense in boxing range, it just, it's just never been very good. The only reason his defense is good at box, has been effective at boxing range is because he kicks so hard, and when guys start getting into boxing range, he can usually tie him up and out-wrestle him or out-grapple him which kind of makes guys hesitate to get in that range because in that range, he can get his hands on him. The thing about it when he fought Chandler is he wasn't able to completely dominate and control Chandler like he had so many other guys. He wasn't able to just hold him on the fence, take him down and, and beat him up or take him down and now grapple him. He did it in spots, but he wasn't able to consistently do it. And Chandler's footwork and his foot speed was explosive, was good enough and explosive enough that he, will, he was able to close that distance and beat up Benson on the inside. Um, but like I said last week, and guy he was before the before the Alvarez fights and before the Will Brooks fights, he doesn't take a shot particularly well, and he doesn't he doesn't absorb and recover from abuse as well as he used to be. I, I've seen him you, prior before the second Alvarez fight. I used to see him take shots and he'd walk through them and he would just blow guys away. When Henderson Henderson dropped him with a punch for one, and when Henderson part, started putting those leg kicks and knees on him, you could see a noticeable and his aggression his aggression and his his physicality and his volume it, it just wasn't there and so little by little he started slowing down he started not putting as much power on it he started getting hit more and he'd have moments where he'd explode and control Benson and do great damage but he wasn't taking the two Benson he wasn't beating him up from beginning to, to middle to end of the round he'd have these one or two minute big spots where he was just laying the lumber on him Outside of the first round, he never cleanly just just pulled away in any round. Every, every round was competitive, and as it got further and further along, a lot of people were concerned that Chandler was going to gas. And as I recall, in that fight, Benson had a chance to finish late. Now, it shouldn't have gotten to that point, but the fact of the matter is Chandler was gassed, Chandler was hurt, and Chandler was just able to basically gut it out of that submission and not finish. At the end of the fight, Henderson looked like he'd go another five rounds. Chandler didn't look like he'd go another five seconds. In my opinion, so um, now, um, now you you mentioned quite a quite a bit there. So let's um, let's backtrack a little bit and let's talk about all that. You did make a very good point that you know Benson has gone in there and he's fought three guys who are pound for pound top tens in every division. You know, you have Chandler, Koreshkov, and um, uh, Pitbull as well. So yes, another former champion, another former champion. Set. Another former champion as well. So yes, you do have three guys there who are le legit top ten guys in each of their weight classes. So 
with the way that they performed against Benson, do you think that that speaks more to their talent or speaks less of what Henderson was able to do? Because even though Dana White tried to downplay it when Benson signed with Bellator, what they got was they got potentially one of the best lightweights that has ever competed in the sport. And then on top of that, they also got a guy who was at the time a, I think it was a top 15 ranked um, welterweight. And he was moving his way onto that, that group there. So with the way he's performed in three fights in the circle, in the circle cage, do you think that this speaks more to their competition or speaks less of what he's been able to do? The thing about it is, as I said before, the competition in the top, depending on the division, top one to three guys is easily UFC, is easily UFC level. So we've already known that. We've known we've known in Bellator and light heavyweight. You've got Phil Davis, you got Mo Lawal, King Mo. For the guys who don't know, you have Liam McGeary. Those three guys compete in the UFC. Two, one of those guys has competed and won the UFC. The other two could compete and win in the UFC at heavyweight. You've got Congo. I think they have one other guy. I can't remember his name right now. He he's he could fight and win in the UFC. You have Vincent Henderson, who's there now. You have Michael Chandler. You have Josh Thompson. Um, all those guys could have have either had wins in the UFC or could have wins in the UFC. Forty was a forty-five champ. He could compete in the UFC. He could win the UFC. Same thing with Daniel Strauss. He could compete in the UFC. He could win. And Pat Curran. He could compete in the UFC. He could win. Same thing with their bantamweight division. They have three or four guys. So at the top, one to five, one to three people in the division are all fighting UFC level type opponents. So him losing to those guys or him having shaky performance against those guys doesn't make me question his talent level. I mean, in his UFC run has always been a guy who didn't clearly dominate guys. He kind of ground out tough decisions where he'd have like a moment or two pulls and pass in a decision to fight. Oftentimes, most people thought he lost his fights. A lot of people thought he lost to Thompson. A lot of people thought he lost to Melendez. A lot of people thought he lost the majority of fights where he defended his title because they were so close and so back and forth, and they felt that Henderson um, actually was outworked in many of the fights, and he just had a few brief moments. In fact, they, a lot of people thought he lost to Frankie Edgar in the second rematch. So it's not like people thought of Henderson as some hugely dominant guy who was just blowing people away. When he went to welterweight fighting you know, top 20, top 25 welterweights. Yeah, he was finishing and looking impressive because those guys weren't the athletic athletes he is and those guys weren't the class of fighter he was. Beating up Brandon Thatch, lower ranked, uh, top 30 type welterweight, as impressive as it is because of the size, Brandon Thatch isn't a technician on the feed and he can't grapple worth a damn. So beating him up is only impressive from the physical aspect of it. Technically, if they were the same size, nobody would have picked Thatch over over um, Henderson. So it's just an example of of him beating a lower level of talent and a low, but a bigger size opponent in the UFC and having those couple wins of welterweight made people think that maybe wasn't. He's a tough fighter. He's world-class. He's a grinded out, pull out decisions type guy, but he's not the kind of guy who blows anybody away. Who in Vincent Henderson's career, has he really just blown away? Donald Cerrone with a submission? Okay. That one time he beat up Nate Diaz, but you've never seen him just blast a guy and walk away or kick a guy in the head and he just ended his night. You've never seen that from Vincent Henderson. He's not that kind of guy. He's a guy who outworks you, grinds you down, and beats you up over. He doesn't really blow out anybody or just dominate people like that. So him having trouble 
in Bellator isn't a shock to me because those guys are all able to compete with them. They got enough athleticism and enough experience that they can compete with them. Now you get past the top three or four in welter in lightweight, and he just runs game on four through ten, four through fifteen. You know, even some of the welterweights, the guys you get past the top three or four, he he probably beats up five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. They're always going to push them because they have a the athleticism, b a, an experience, and c the technical and physical the technical and strategical talent and coaching to compete with them. So that doesn't make me think less of Benson Henderson at all. And if people really look at how they looked at Benson in his UFC run, nobody would be shocked by this because he was always winning tight decisions. That Michael Chandler fight in the UFC, he won that fight. In Bellator, he lost it. But that's the kind of fight he usually wins. That's why he was so upset at the end of it. That's why so many people were concerned that he was going to beat Chandler because that's the kind of fight that Benson Henderson always finds a way to win, even if it's a bad decision by most people's standards. So here's my thing then. Um, what do you do next with both of those guys? You know, you have one man who's kind of solidified himself as, as a champion in, in the division. You know, I, I still want to see the fight with Josh Thompson at some point in the future. But you have Michael Chandler on one hand and you have Benson Henderson on the other. What do you do next with both of these guys? Well, you can still Chandler because um, in the UFC, there's only been two guys who there's been only been two guys who've beaten who's beaten Alvarez. One guy beat him by decision. The other guy clearly dominated him. In the past couple of years, the only other person who's beat who's beat Alvarez or really pushed him has been has been um, Michael Chandler and even Will Brooks, who's a reigned UFC heavyweight lightweight. Excuse me. He beat Chandler, but it wasn't like he beat him going away. First time it was a contested decision. Second time it was more of a stoppage win, but it was still a competitive fight. So with Chandler, there's a lot of things you can do with him. He's the face of Bellator. They're all behind him, and he's all for pushing the Bellator brand and the Bellator name. He's a good-looking guy with an exciting style, and he's got a good physical look, and he's got talent. The dude can fight. I personally think he's on the decline. I think those four fights took off of him as an elite fighter, but that's not the discussion. The question is, can you bring in enough guys who are viable enough talents and threats to to expand his brand and to legitimize him as a top, you know, as a top lightweight outside of the UFC? Because the guys in the division, the, all the guys who are the guys we know about, he's asked or he's already beaten them. So there's not a whole lot of options unless you start getting guys moving up from 45 to give it a shot to get the lightweight title. He's already fought Henderson. Henderson was no worse than the third best, second or third best guy in the division. And Josh Thompson, in my opinion, as far as skills and experience at this stage, even though he's he's in, he's faded version of himself, it still will be a top two or three guy in the division. So after he fights Thompson, who else is there for him? Who else has even got the pedigree or the resume that brings attention to Chandler? That, that's the question. They're going to have to start either organizations or they're going to have to make it a point to bring in other young up-and-coming guys to get him in there with because Bellator doesn't have a lot of variety and a lot of depth to any division they have. If you notice it, it's usually the same two or three guys in the title mix all the time. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. And with Chandler, I can agree with you that um, I am wondering if he's going to be on the uh, on the decline because he's taken a lot of damage over these last couple of fights. You know the two fights with um, Alvarez and then the two fights with Real Bo Will Brooks. He definitely has taken a lot of damage, and the way he fights, 
um, he puts it all out there. You know, like he leaves. He's literally one of those guys who leaves everything in, in, in the cage, and it shows. Well, just make so sure you watch, watch some of those fights. Like when he fought David Rickles last time, when Rick Rickles hit him a couple times, and you just see him kind of look a certain kind of way. And Vincent Henderson, when he put those knees on him, I mean, Vincent Henderson dropped him with a punch. How many times have you ever seen Vincent Henderson drop anybody with a punch? And he hits hard. I mean, he just doesn't look like he takes the abuse the way he used to. He's like, and with his style, and he likes to throw a lot of volume, a lot of aggression, likes to get in in your chest and throw you around and manhandle you. Even when he's winning, he's putting out a lot of effort. Even yeah. when you're applying punishment, you're putting punishment on yourself. And for a guy who's been through almost four wars back to back to back to back, that's that's a lot of tread to put on your tires. You know, it's like he's had almost 20 rounds of hard, hard fighting. That's a lot. That is a whole totally lot. Right. Totally right, Dak. I can definitely um, agree with you there. He's definitely put on a lot. He's, he's done a, he's, he's put a lot of miles on his body over the last couple of years. And it'll be interesting to see just how, I mean, he's only 30 years old. So it'll be interesting to see just how much he has left and what he looks like when his career is over. I think he, um, in the UFC, but that's not necessarily a bad thing anymore. I think he's put himself in a position to where he can um, leverage Bellator to make a, a substantial amount of money while he's still fighting and definitely leverage them into other opportunities when the time comes. But um, before we go on, I definitely want to uh, talk about, you know, I want to talk about Michael Venom Page, you know, because as you mentioned, Chandler is the current face of Bellator and as he begins to um, phase out, I'm not saying that that's going to happen right now. MVP is one of those guys who can kind of step in. He's an exciting fighter. Um, definitely loves talking, loves putting on, on a show. But he didn't have a great fight on Saturday. And um, to make things even worse, he kind of blamed it on his opponent, saying that his opponent didn't come ready to fight. Um, so what are your thoughts about MVP? Is he someone who you would put your faith in and being a start in the future? Or are we just waiting for him to get caught by somebody like a Paul Daly or a Douglas Lima or something like that? And then we'll find out who this guy really is. Well, we've had, we've had a bit of this discussion before. So I'll just recap for the listeners. And, and to an extent, Michael Venom page is he's already a star. I mean, like his finishes and his fights, probably get more views than some of their more legitimate tested fighters. Even some of their name guys. So he's already a star. The question is, is he a good enough fighter to justify the attention and the push that Bellator is giving him? And the issue and and the the problem with Bellator isn't that it's not a good organization or they're not run well or they don't put money into guys. The problem is they don't have any depth. I use Max Holloway as an example. When he fought in the UFC he got to fight multiple levels of different guys that challenged him in different areas, guys who were better than him on the ground, but not too much better enough where he could athlete his way through or figure his way out, or he could just dominate with his striking one way or another. When you're building, when you're building a fighter, what you do is you test him. You bring him in some, a couple guys he can blow out to get his confidence going, keep him in shape. Then you start slowly putting him against guys who are better than, in key areas, but not so much better that they can totally expose him. And then you put him in there, you hopefully keep him winning. But if he takes a loss here or there, then that brings him down to earth and it gives him something, gives him something tangible to hold on to and know that he has to actually live and breathe this 
this area so that he can get better. And then you slowly introduce him to that again and you work his work him all the way up. That's what they did with Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy's been about around the same time as Michael Venom Page. One well, thing is Wonder Boy's had a multiple level of opponents, different styles, different physical skill sets, different sizes, different ranges, different st strategies to slowly refine and build his game out and, f and, and flesh out all aspects of his game, whether it's his striking, his wrestling or his grappling. He's had he's had time to develop it, and he's had live fights against live opponents who he could work on each one of those things with or against. And it's gotten sharper, and it's helped him develop to where he's a legitimate title challenger and contender. Michael Venom Page hasn't had that. They've had Bellator so shallow, they put him up against a bunch of guys he blows out, and then when they put him in with an experienced guy, the experienced guy, he Cyborg, was so past his prime that it wasn't much of a problem for Michael Venom Page. He hasn't had to flesh out his skills and really develop an even a balanced game and a balanced skill set and a balanced approach to how he fights. Because he, he's so far, he's so far athletically outclassing the guys he's fought. And in this fight, he's right that he, he's right to blame his opponent. It is his opponent's fault. His opponent didn't engage, so it is his fault. But the thing about it is, Michael Venom Page it hasn't developed his skills enough where he could force his opponent to engage or he could take advantage of his opponent's engage. Right now, Venom Page is a Page is essentially a counter striker. You you lead and he hits you with some dynamic spin kick or some front kick or or a big right hand or something. And his whole game is built around baiting you and making embarrassing you or confusing you to where you think you can just pressure him, you run into a big shot, or you get angry because he's showing off and you want to shut his mouth and he hits you with a big shot. If a guy doesn't bite, he has no ability to create his own offense. All his offense is built on what you give him. You give him nothing, he has nothing for you. He'll just pick and peck and dance around. He has no idea He has no idea how to work his way in. He has no idea how to cut off a cage. He has no idea how to attack your legs to force you to have to open up. He has no idea how to put combinations together well enough where you have to fire back. He, he, he can't even, his footwork isn't even good enough where he can threaten you with his footwork to where you feel you have to punch just to get yourself space. He, he lacks all those skills. So while his opponent didn't engage him, it's not his opponent's job to, to put himself on the highlight reel. It's not his opponent's job to make his, his fight easy. It's his opponent's job to do what it takes to win and do what it takes to frustrate or limit Michael Venom Page's game. And that's what he did. He limited it by not giving him anything to counter. It was Michael Venom Page's job to create opportunities to pressure him to where he feels threatened and he has to fire back, to cut him off to where he has to throw something to get off the cage or escape, to put combinations together to where you trap him on the cage and then you can open up all sorts of offense or to take different chances to create offense. But Michael Venom Page knows his wrestling isn't up to par. He knows his grappling isn't up to par. So he won't take those chances. So his lack of skill in other areas forces him to play that really safety first game and just fall around and, and mug and dance and showboat. It looks great when you finish it with a KO. It looks really bad when you can't get anything consistently going. So um, he's already a star. The question is, is he ever going to be good enough to be to justify the support and the money they're putting into him? And right now, he's not. So with all that going for him, what do you do with the next? Obviously, we're going to keep him away from Douglas Lima, Kreshkovs, and those guys at the very top. But how much more time do they have before they need this guy to deliver? Because that's one thing Bellator – Bellator has time, but they don't have time at the same time, if that makes sense. You can't put him in there with um, 
with Rory McDonald right now because we know what McDonald's going to be able to do. You can't put him in there with Douglas Lima. Maybe you maybe you could put him in there with Lima right now, but Lima just yeah. is, he's a champion now, so you got to hold off on that. Same thing with um, um Kershkoff as well. So what do you do with MVP at this point in time? I think he's going to get he's going to get Paige Van Zanden to be quite honest. When Paige Van Zandt was in the UFC, she's beating up on these second tier, third tier strawweights who are still better than anybody Michael Venom Page has fought put together. And eventually they just kept, she kept winning and they just ended up throwing her in with Rose Namajunas and Rose Namajunas beat her within an inch of her life. And outclassed her and, and embarrassed her technically on every single level. That happened. I knew that was going to happen. And with Michael Venom Page, you can't justify that he's fought two guys who are fairly legitimate. He's beat them both. You can't take, have him take two steps backwards fighting fourth and fifth tier fighters again. You've got to make him take a step forward. The only thing with the, the Bellator is since they don't have any depth, the only other guys they have for him are named guys. They don't have any other medium level guy who can prevent, who can present somewhat of a threat, but not enough of a threat. I mean, they don't, they don't have any, I guess to get, have him fight Brennan Ward, maybe. I mean, um, I, I don't know. All the guys they have who, who could fight him are legitimate threats to beat him. Every single guy they could put him in with now has a 50-50 chance of beating him and derailing the whole thing. And what's, what's even more um, crazy about that is like, like you're totally right with saying that they don't have the depth to really challenge him at this point in time, but they got to do something with him. Like they got to put him in. They got to figure out a way to keep him in front of the crowd because he is definitely one of their um, – biggest stars right now and that's even saying a lot because he hasn't he, he even though he hasn't really been around for um too long but speaking about fighters who have been around for too long let's talk about some of the ufc um fights from this past weekend we saw ryan bader get yet another win over one of the noguera brothers with um at ufc fight night 100 and we also saw gegar musasi beat the brakes off of uriah hall so out of those two wins which one do you think was more important to the winner? Um, the Musasi beating Hall was more important to him because, I mean, uh, we we all know Bader's kind of a uh, stand-in type of guy. He's good enough to beat the rest, not good enough to beat the best. To Naguera, if he would have lost to Naguera, it wouldn't have really shocked anybody. People would have just been like, okay, the Bader area of being second or third best is over. And, um, you know, he just keeps doing what he does, which is come up short in the biggest spots. No offense to him. It's just been his history. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue on that. I'm, I'm going to argue with you on that because I have a different viewpoint on that. That was Bader's last contracted fight. So now he's a, a free agent. And he's number f- ranked number four in light, in light heavyweight division, I believe. And he's talked about, you know, playing the field, seeing what other promotions have to offer. And – you know, he does have a win over Phil Davis. So it will be interesting to see what Bellator is is willing to offer him, if they offer him anything, or what that comes about. You know, he talked about he wants to stay in the UFC, and he wants to be, you know, he wants to fight there, and he wants to continue challenging there. But, I mean, he's lost to um, he's lost to John Jones. He's lost to Anthony Johnson. He will probably lose to Daniel Cormier. Um, he's lost to, like, the, 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 the three – the best three to five guys in the division. So I wouldn't be surprised if he uses this win to leverage himself a bigger deal with Bellator. Like I, I didn't even know, but he has the second most wins as a light heavyweight in the UFC behind only John Jones. 
No, I, I knew that about him. Was was most valuable. The funny thing about it is he's had the second most wins and he's never had a title fight in his entire time he's been there. That's that's the ironic thing about it. In Bellator, in Bellator, I think it'd be a good mood for him because Bellator needs to fill out their divisions. They are always trying to get the biggest name. You need to fill out your divisions with very good to good to average talent so you you can develop guys. You can have guys who are litmus tests for other guys. You have guys who can who can compete for a title, but maybe won't compete right away. You can have these tournaments. You can have these one-night tournaments. You can have a guy and have him on a, a game plan getting him to the title and another guy who can either make your guy better or who can develop, um, you can, who can reestablish him. A win over Bader means something. It doesn't mean you're the elite of the elite, but it means you're clearly above the average light heavyweight. So Bellator could use him. He's, he's got a good record. He's coming off a win. Um, he's not terribly exciting, but he is terribly effective, and he does have a win over your champion, so that they could use him. But the thing about it is, is, is Bader once again has never been elite, and and he might stay with the UFC. He might try to stay with the UFC because after, if 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 Cormier beats Johnson, him and Bader already have kind of a history. They wouldn't have another guy who has as good a recent record and has as much of a resume in the UFC to put in with Cormier because Jones isn't going to be back for a while. Cormier might want to keep fighting. So you could put Bader right in there with him and it would be, it would be legitimate. Nobody would think that Bader would win, but it'd be at least be a legitimate. If Anthony Johnson wins and Bader has already resigned, if I was in my wait till after they fight to resign, um, he has no shot at getting a title fight because Anthony Johnson crushed him. And he'd have to win another two, three, four fights in a row. And he'd have to beat all the guys he's never beat before to get that opportunity. So it all it all hinges on whether Cormier retains the title. If Cormier retains the title, he should walk into a title shot. If Cormier loses, then if I'm Bader, I'm going straight to Bellator because at least I'll be in the title talks. I'll get a bigger payday. And um, they'll put me, they'll push me because I'm still a type, top 10, top seven light heavyweight. That he beats guys like King King Mo Lawal, he could probably beat Davis again. I I know he's not beating King Mo. I won't say thing because King Mo listens to the show and he'll be texting me, being like, "Dude, what what are you saying? He might beat me." But he's not beating King Mo. He might beat Phil Davis. He might be Liam McGarry. But it would just flesh out there. It would flesh out that division. Let's let's not fool ourselves. As good as Bader's been, he's never been elite because every time he's faced the best guy, he's lost. John Jones. He lost to Johnson. He lost to Glover, Texera. I mean, he beat Rashad Evans. Rashad is isn't the Rashad he was from years ago. Who who in their prime is he beat? Nobody. Those, those, are all, those are all good points, and I and and I'm interested in seeing what's happening, what's going to happen to him next, because um, this is a point in time where MMA fighters are able to make the most money that they possibly can through free agency, and he may not be that big one the first tier number one draft pick type of fighter, but he's definitely a quality player that any either promotion would like to have on their roster. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's next um, for him. To me, he's actually worth more to Bellator. And the only reason I can see the UFC, because the UFC is under new management. They're not doing business the way they used to. I'll tell you that much. And if I was the UFC, I might sign him to keep him away from Bellator. Because as long as I can keep Bellator's divisions fairly thin, I can highlight that lack of depth that separates us from them. 
if Bellator can get like a legitimate top ten of of functional, somewhat familiar and effective fighters, even though it won't change their image with the masses, the people who know fights and understand fights in the hardcores will see that gap being closed. If I'm UFC, I might sign him just so he can't go to Bellator. But it but it it do Bellator more good to have Vader than it does the UFC. He's he's just another retread in the UFC, and he's not going to have this slate turnaround where he's going to start dominating guys. I don't believe that's going to happen. So I bet I think for him and for Bellator, it's better if he goes there. Just like I thought it'd be better if Gilbert Melendez would have left the UFC and went to Bellator. But that's another story. Yeah, that's a whole other story there. So let's talk about um, Musashi then. You know, he definitely he made Leroy Hall look like a, a, a fluke. He definitely made him look like a fluke with that win on Saturday. And, man, he's on a run. You know, people aren't – you know, we talked about him a while back, and people aren't really taking him seriously as a contender at 185 pounds. But now I think – now is the time where you can't really overlook him anymore. But the question is, how does he get to that title shot? Does he fight Jacare and win? Do you put him in there against Chris Wyman? I mean, obviously, do you put him in there against um, – Romero, I think the answer to all those questions are is is a no. So I, the only way I see him getting a title shot is if he does like a last second fill in. Let's say they make the fight with Romero or excuse me, Yoel and Bisbing, and Yoel gets hurt and they need a last second fill in. That's the only way I can see Musashi slipping his way in there. And I would still even pick him over Bisbing if something like that did happen. But what do you think is next for the the Dreamcatcher? Where do they put him? I. I think he should, uh, the only thing for him is he's got to keep fighting. He doesn't have a fan base. He doesn't draw eyes. I mean, some of the har- hardcores and the media likes him. This the brand new Musashi we're seeing. But the fact of the matter, he hasn't always been very exciting. He doesn't have any name wins. Beating Vitor Belfort nowadays isn't a name win. He beat Uriah Hall, but he never should have lost to him in the first place just based off of skill and experience alone. That never should have happened, you know. And um, a lot of the guys he's beat, he's beaten, are guys who are right now on losing streaks or who are like a step or two from getting cut from the UFC as it stands. So he doesn't have that highlight win over anybody of note recently that's going to get that's going to project to push him into a title fight. He lost to Jacare. He lost to Leota Machida. I mean, those those losses happened. We saw that happen. He lost to Uriah Hall, which is another, which is hugely damaging. He's had. Don't equate to Bisping beating Rockhold, Rockhold beating Weidman, Yo Romero beating Ryman, Yo Romero beating Leona Machida. He's got to keep on fighting, and he's got to beat someone who's close to their prime and someone who's a dangerous opponent that justifies him getting a title fight because he doesn't have a big enough name or a big enough fan base for the UFC just to push him into one. And you know what? No- Going off of that there, I totally yeah. agree with you, and I think that that's a good segue into um, the next – the next set of fights for this weekend where you have Robert Whitaker and Derek Brunson fighting in the main event. I think the winner of that fight will be a great matchup for Musashi going forward because both of these guys are on some solid runs at 185. You know, I kind of, you kind of forget about Derek Brunson when he came into the UFC off of that loss to Jacare. And then, you know, he had that good showing against Yoel until the final, like 20 seconds or whatever, something like that. You kind of forget about both of these guys, but Man, they've put together some streaks. Um, Whitaker's on a five-fight win streak, and Brunson has won, I think, like five out of his last six or something like that. Something um, He's won – let me see. He's won five in a row as well. So you have both of these guys who are 
at a very good point in their career, I see either one of these guys being the next man to fight Musasi. But just as a side note, Musasi could always take, I mean, I don't know if he would take it, but Kim, Kim Tennant, Tim Kennedy has had his fight with Rashad fall through like two or three times. He's still a ranked middleweight. He has a win over Bisping fairly recent where he essentially dominated him. So Very good point. He, he is out there. And Musasi keeps calling out these these weird fights, either wants a title or this other guy who, who you know, I think he called out Anderson Silva at some point. Really? Anderson hasn't won a fight in like two or three years, dude. Like, Yeah, he did he do just, that. You need to go after the guys who have got a ranking and who have a win over somebody above you, who you can get to, who aren't in title picture because they're not taking a step back. Maybe even Luke Rockhold when he comes back, if he wants to wait that long. But um, you're right, that's beside the point. Um, Brunson and Whitaker uh, are two guys who I, who I like, and they, they have to very good win streaks. The only problem with both of these guys is they have, they've had losses to guys who, once again, aren't top-end fighters in the middleweight division. Wait, uh, I know Brunson has, and um, Brunson's had like the big loss to Yo Romero. That and that that was fairly recently, and the guys he's beaten, even though they've been talented and tough guys, none of those guys have been, you know, the name guys you would think to project you into a title fight. He's a, him and Whitaker are guys who have to just keep winning fights and basically get to a title fight based off of the amount of w- wins and the way they win the fights, like how impressively they win them. That's going to get them into a title fight because. They haven't beaten, they haven't gotten the opportunity to. Well, Brunson did, and he, he didn't win in that fight. They haven't fought a named guy who's just, I beat this guy and I, I can demand a title shot. None of them is in that circle right now. Jacare is not trying to deal with those guys because he doesn't want to. He thinks he's close to a title fight. Romero's not taking any fights before he gets Bisping. Bisping isn't even paying attention to these guys because none of them have fan bases and none of them draw any money. And so, so, so let's I talk mean, about that. Let's, let's talk about that because you actually mentioned important. Yeah. Um, Brunson, you know, he has three career career losses. He lost to Romero, he lost to Jacare back in Strike Force, and he also lost to um, Kendall Grove, uh, a split decision. Whitaker hasn't lost as a middleweight. His last loss came to Stephen Thompson when he was knocked out there, and he also has a loss to Court McGee. I think that's the fight where he got hurt, and they ended up um, going to the cards, and he lost that fight. So, um, you know, I. And their wins, you know, he just took a win over um, Rafael Natal, who was top five at middleweight. He's also beaten Brandon Tavares, who was who was ranked in top ten at one point in time. Or excuse me, he beat um, yeah, he beat Brad Brad Tavares, and he also has that win over Uriah Hall. And Brunson has pretty much a similar um, similar resume where he has that win over Hall. He just defeated Roran Carnero. Who is also ranked? Is he ranked two as well? No, he's not. He um and he defeated. Who else did he also beat? Uh, he has a win over Lorenz Larkin. All, all these guys are good fighters, but if you notice, yeah. if you notice the guys you're mentioning, none of those guys are what you would consider elite. There's like three or four elite guys in the middleweight division. None of those guys are. Brad Tavares is tough and as gritty and as seasoned as he is, and 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 the consistency he has shown. Brad Tavares isn't really, he's not a title contender. He's like a fringe contender in the loosest sense of the word. Ron Canero mm-hmm. isn't really Uriah Hall. He's so hit, and even though I picked him last weekend, he's just so hit and miss throughout his entire career. You can't really put, like those wins, even though there's a lot of those wins, none of those wins are the kind of wins where you say, man, this guy needs to be in a title fight. And even though he's beat these guys, he's never beaten these guys in such a fashion where you're like, he's just clearly light years ahead of these guys. Whitaker beat Hall, 
but towards the end of that fight, Hall was putting it on him. Hall almost stopped him. And it, all the fights have been competitive. They've been close. They've been back and forth. He hasn't just been crushing guys. He hasn't been just one-shotting guys and, and sh- showing that he's two classes above. He's beat him. He's won some if, in impressive fashion, but nothing that says you're that next guy. You're a guy that the champ has to worry about, it, in my opinion. He, he He's shown good striking. He's shown improved wrestling. He's shown better footwork. He's shown cleaner entries and cleaner exits and better, better defensive awareness. Beating up. What level of guys has this been? Him and Brunson are essentially fighting that proves that they're good enough to face a guy like Musasi. Like after they beat each, if whoever beats the other has essentially said, I've beaten the rest. Now I'm ready to step up to that top five, legitimate top five, legitimate contender. The guy who's got the experience and got the skills. The guy I'm not going to have clear athletic and technical advantages. The guy who can, who, if I push him, he's going to push back. The guy who's got the mentality and the experience and not, not panic under pressure and not make the simple mistakes again that I did uh have allowed me to beat other guys. They haven't beaten anybody of Musasi's character caliber yet. They haven't beaten anybody of Weidman's caliber or Rockhold's cal- cal- caliber. Brunson's lost to those kind of guys. He's trying to prove that he can actually still beat one of those guys against the rest. He's crushing them. He's showing the athleticism. He's showing the improved striking. He's showing that his wrestling has been underrated over these years, but against the top guys, He's not shown that poise, that defensive awareness, or that consistency to close out wins. He hasn't shown it. And Whitaker has been consistent. He's been consistent against second and third tier type fighters. This fight is basically a sweepstakes to see who gets to move to the next level and face a guy of a Musasi's level. Because they haven't proven that they, neither one has proven that they can beat that kind of guy or compete with that kind of guy. This is the fight to get them, get Brunson right back in that spot hopefully to prove that he can break the barrier or to get Whitaker in a position where he can prove that all these wins have been, haven't been, haven't been wins that he got because he was the better athlete, but wins that he's gotten because he's improved and made adjustments to his game that are taking him towards being an elite fighter. Neither one of those guys has proven that just because he's undefeated middleweight doesn't mean much because middleweights is suspect. The division is light heavyweight is nowadays. It's a bunch of guys who are good, but not really great. Unlike lightweight and welterweight where you have a number of guys who could be elite at any night or who could be an elite guy in any, any given night. So who do you pick in the main event on Saturday then do you, um, between Brunson and Whitaker? I am, I'm really interested in seeing how Whitaker puts together his, um, combinations and his boxing in this fight. And, um, I'm looking to pick him to win this fight, but who do you, um, who do you think is going to come out on top? I probably agree with you. I think Whitaker, Whitaker's jab is a huge problem. His footwork and his diversity with his offense, he's very comfortable in putting combinations together, kick and punch combinations. He's he's effective on the counter. He can lead a bit, but that jab is usually what separates him from most people. Most guys aren't used to dealing with a guy with a consistent and varied jab. And I think if he can get his jab going and use smart footwork, he can kind of limit the opportunities Brenton has to get in on him and to put him to the fence and get his hands on him and work him over in the clinches or get him down and really punish him. I think the fight's going to actually be fought a lot on the feet because Brunson's been experiencing some some success on his feet. He has some success against Romero. He has success against Uriah Hall. And I think he's going to push the issue on the feet if for no other reason to create the opening avenues for those takedowns. I just think that Whitaker's improved defense and his timing – his distance management and that jab are going to be the difference. I think 
he's not going to leave the opening that Brunson's usually used to having. And I have an issue with Brunson is I think that when he faces guys of comparable athletic ability, I think you start seeing a little bit of some chinks in his armor. When he's faced guys he's a, be- he's a better athlete than and bigger and stronger and more explosive, he usually kind of imposed his will on him. He's knocked him out. He's knocked him around. He's manhandled him. Why couldn't he do that to Jacare? Why couldn't he do that to Romero? The different and and I know that they're very good in certain disciplines, but the fact of the matter is the most obvious thing is there's not that huge gap in athleticism. In fact, Brunson was on the lower level of athleticism, but when he's not the superior athlete, he doesn't usually clearly win or look as dominant or as impressive as he's looked in these last couple of fights. You know, I know he beat Hall, and Hall's a great athlete himself. But Hall makes some of the most boneheaded, first day of training, basic errors in his stand-up that make it almost impossible for guys not to take advantage of him. What help bails him out is he's such a dynamic athlete and he has such a, a wide variety of strikes, but he makes some of the most egregious area mistakes on his feet. I don't think Whitaker's going to make the mistakes, and I don't think Brunson has the athleticism to just run past him, get his hands on him, and throw him all around. I've seen comparable or better athletes than Brunson have a hard time getting Whitaker down. I've seen comparable or better athletes than Brunson have a hard time getting past Whitaker's jab and getting up, getting around the offense that Whitaker sets up off his jab. Better strikers than Brunson, too. So I tend to think that Whitaker's going to win this, um, most likely by decision. But if Brunson gets a little bit too wild, I could see him getting stopped. Yeah, I, I can um, I can definitely uh, agree with what you said there. I'm looking forward to this fight from from a, a, a technical standpoint. You know, there aren't too many fights where, well, that's not true. There are a lot of fights where I like this. I want to see from a technical standpoint. But this is one that kind of stands out to me because it has immediate implications within the middleweight division, and we may see a new contender come what? out of this fight or a new contender down the line, someone to look forward to in 2017. Something I want to see is, and as a grappler, you understand this, a lot of guys, I'm on Twitter, a lot of times when I watch the fights, I'll tell people a lot of fighters won't use their takedowns or the takedown attempts as weapons. I want to see if Brunson has that growth and shows some depth and variation to his game. Because as you know, takedowns are, take a lot of energy. And if you get defended or you're sprawled out and you're tired or you can't get escape, you can really take a lot of punishment. But if you're smart with it, you can use your takedowns to guide people into the positions you want, even if they defend it. You can use it to get them to the fence. You can use it to transition into your strikes or, or when they hit the underhooks and try to pull you up. You essentially got an opportunity to break free and get into a tie-up or a clinch and work them over. Or you can use the takedown attempts to disrupt their spacing and their ability to let those combinations go. I want to see if Brunson brings that to the table or is it just going to be a, I shoot, I can't take him down, now I'm just going to abandon that and, sh- and stick to the, the striking. Or he starts lighting me up on the feet. So instead of using the takedowns to kind of force him to the fence, and cut off his options as far as escape routes and the strikes he can use, I'm going to just keep shooting until he eventually sprawls me out and knocks me out. Like, the takedown attempt can be a weapon in and of itself. If nothing else, it gives him two things to worry about instead of just worry about your striking or your wrestling. Now he's got to worry about both of them, which opens up opportunities for you to land strikes, and by landing strikes, it opens up opportunities for you to get the takedown. Either way, when you're facing a guy who's not as good a wrestler than you or who's not used to wrestling a lot, it's a way of slowing him down, taking away that explosiveness, Thinking about that mobility, breaking their rhythm, but enough fighters won't. They won't do it. They either sell out for the takedown and get sprawled and knocked out or submitted, or they just end up getting into striking, extended striking exchanges that they can't possibly win. So I'm hoping to see some ring IQ and ability to adjust from 
Brunson because the reason why we haven't had to see it, he just beat guys up and run them over. And in this fight, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. I think he's going to have to show some depth and some poise in there to beat him. So is there anything else that you're looking forward to from this card this weekend? I am, I'm kind of interested in some of these younger guys coming up, like Daniel Kelly. Um, he's fighting Chris Camosi, Andrew Holbrook. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what some of these guys do um, on Saturday. Is there anything else that kind of stands out to you um, from this weekend's card? Um, I'm kind of a, I, I'm kind of like to see see how Kelly does. Kamosi's, Kamosi's another guy who's who's beating the best guy, who's beating the rest of the guys, and has athletic talent, and he's a good litmus test for people. If you can get past him and do it in an impressive fashion, it shows that you may be, that you may be on the up and up as far as what you can do as a fighter and where you can go. You have to beat a, you have to beat a certain class of fighter and do it in a certain way for you to on to get some kind of kind of push behind you with the UFC. So I think Kamosi is a good test. I, I like to see what he can do. Um I, I a lot of the fights they're just not I, how can I put it? It's like they're interesting to me because they're fights and and I might be seeing the next up and comer on this card, but there's not a lot of the fights out there that are um really appealing to me because they don't have a lot of weight as far as how they impact the division right now. A lot of these people aren't, except for Brunson and Whitaker, aren't anywhere near a title discussion. So a lot of it is just you're watching the fights to see who separates themselves and shows that they're they're capable of or willing to do the work necessary to be put into that fringe contender status and maybe eventually get into that that true contender status. The only other fighter I really would interest interested in be seeing, excuse me, I can't talk today is a C, I don't know how to say her name, C.L. Hee-Hom. Uh, she's a strawweight. Um, I'm interested in seeing her fight because she has a, she actually has a very a pleasing, all kind of forward motion, violent style, and she's put on nothing but good fights. And I feel like if she can put a couple wins together, she's got the style and the physicality and the durability to kind of make some noise in the division. If nothing else, be kind of a gateway between contender and pretender or fringe contender and legitimate title contender. So I'm interested in seeing her fight too, but most of the people on there, I'm just watching because I like to watch fights. I like to break down fights and figure out what, what I can pick up from anybody I'm seeing. Okay. So final topic here. We got 10 minutes left. Thanksgiving tomorrow, food, football, family. I looked at the three F's. I just put that together. MMA-wise, what are you thankful for in 2016? I'm going to go first. Personally, it's MMA free agency because guys are getting paid, and I think that this is the opportunity for the sport to really grow. I want to see Bellator, 1FC. I want to see these other organizations grow and become viable um, options to the UFC. I want to see competitive grappling growing, which is definitely blowing up um, with guys like Gary and Gordon Ryan and all those guys doing their thing. So um, free agency is definitely what I am most thankful for in the year of 2016. What about you? Uh, one thing would be Conor McGregor. As much as people hate him and despise him or say they hate him, which is really just jealousy, he's brought a lot of attention to both the divisions, featherweight, He's brought a lot of money in for the people who fought on his cards and any champions who fought on cards that he's fought on. Those guys get paid based on pay-per-view sales. So, you know, Tyron Woodley should be sending a thank you note 
to Conor McGregor because he got paid a pretty penny on that last fight. And Joanna Jendrick should also write him a letter because she got paid very well off that last pay-per-view. And it's not because they have huge fan bases. It's not because people tune in to see them. It's because of Conor McGregor. Nate Diaz needs to thank Conor McGregor because he got him the biggest two paydays of his entire career for fighting Conor. Eddie Alvarez, he sent him a thank you letter. Jose Aldo, as dominant as he was, nobody really cared about who he was until Conor McGregor said he was going to chop his head off. So all these guys need to, need to be thankful that somebody's drawing this attention and increasing the paydays and essentially keeping the UFC in the front because they have the biggest star, the guy who crosses over all media boundaries. Uh, the second thing I'm have, grateful for is that fighters are starting to start, are starting to treat their careers like actual careers and not something they would just do for free, something they just love to do regardless of the paycheck or regardless of what it does to their brand. Guys are actually starting to think about what's going to happen past fighting as far as a career and as far as their financial stability. You have guys like Sergio Moraes who stayed with um, WSOF because he knows the UFC is not going to pay him the money he gets paid there. He made an intelligent decision that I have this lifestyle. I have this freedom that comes with getting these paychecks. I'm not, yeah, I want to fight the best. Yeah, I want to compete against the best. But am I willing to sacrifice my family's future, my own future to go fight the best? Am I willing to take a shortcut financially to do so? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to have to be happy doing what I can over here and making money that's going to provide stability for my team, myself, and my family. And it's nice to see fighters actually thinking that way instead of, Letting the letters UFC fool you so much to the point that you're willing to shortchange yourself and your family to take less money so that you can fight in the Super Bowl of MMA, which can't be that great because you still have people begging for paydays for fight of the night or submission of the night. You don't see NFL players doing that. You don't see you don't see big name boxers doing that. You don't see you don't see bench players in the NBA begging for paydays. And no matter how much of an honor it is to play for a team or be in the league. They want to get paid. And finally, MMA fighters are starting to think with that same logic and say, hey, yeah, I want to fight the best. Yeah, I want to be the best. But I don't want to have my wife having to work two jobs because of that. I don't want to go into debt because of that. I don't want to lose my house because of that. I have to be able to make a living off this because this is a job. This isn't just an activity or a hobby. I have to be able to provide for myself and my family. And I'm glad that fighters are finally starting to be open about that and finally starting to think with something other than their hearts and their competitive nature. At a certain time, at a certain point, you have to grow up and deal with the real world like the rest of us. And yeah, you might get to do your dream work, dream job, but even the dream is in the real world, and you have to learn how to function within it. And I'm just glad guys are starting to, to use common sense and show some intelligence. Yeah, I'm definitely um, going to agree with you there, man. It's it's it's, it's a good time, man, because like fighters get paid. And it trickles on down. Everyone else gets better opportunities there. So with that in mind, you know, I'm going to say happy holidays to you and your family. Um, we're going to close out the show. Let everybody know what you're working on this week. Um, I'm actually working on a part a piece. I'm actually in the process of it, hopefully finish it up over the weekend, about Bellator and the, the actual the legitimate problem that Bellator has. I gave a little hint of it. It's not top-notch talent. It's not money. It's not a good... Have not having a good guy running it, it's depth. They have depth. They can compete with the UFC. They don't have it, and that's one of the main reasons they, they're not a viable option quality of fights for the UFC. As usual, you can catch me on Twitter. I'll be li I live-tweet almost all the events. If you have any questions or thoughts or opinions, 
I talked to some of the coaches that you wonder about. I talked to some of the fighters that you're com complaining or complimenting. So I can give you some insight if you want it. If not, just enjoy the tweets and get some free MMA information because I'm always willing to hand it out to anybody who wants to know more. Awesome, man. I definitely appreciate always having you on the show. And you can catch me covering all things MMA. Um, catch me covering what MMA, basketball, football, just about everything. Um, I'm looking for some interesting pieces that I'm working on for Bloody Elbow about competitive grappling. So keep an eye out on that as well. And as always, man, you can catch me at MMA Ratings. You can follow us at MMARatings.net. You can catch us there. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well, where we're always talking about the sport, but be sure to listen to us as much as possible. And yeah, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out the show and wish, wish everyone a, um, happy holidays and enjoy your Friday and, um, excuse me, enjoy your Thursday and be safe on Friday. If you go out to go cook. All right. You take care Raphael. Thanks again, man. All right. Have a good night, man.